Right, thank you. Hope you had a good lunch. Remind me next time, peeps, mustn't leave the door open. Can take the chairs out, mustn't leave the door open. So let's have a little prayer. I saw Hannah on her way. She's probably made a little potty stop. That'd be nice on the CD, won't it? Everybody knows now, don't they? Father, thank you that we have such a hope set before us, Father, of resurrection life. That, Father, as we lift our eyes to things eternal rather than what's going on here, Lord, we see what you've got in store for us. But, Father, we have got a job to do while we're here and we all want to fulfil your purposes because you have got a specific task for each and every one of us. And I pray, Father, as the weeks and months go on, that will become clearer to us what it is that our task is, Lord. Because each one of us fits. Father, there's no competition. We all fit because you know what you're doing. And Father, would you bless this afternoon. Lord, just bring it out in a pure stream of revealed truth. In Jesus' name. Okay. Um, most important thing first, Joyce said that we can have a tea break. I said, well, we could, couldn't we? Three o'clock, girls, hold me to it. Three o'clock, tea break. All right? And a quick one, like, because we need to finish by four. But again, I don't know how long this is going to take me. So, can you just pop up my bullet points. I love this idea, bullet points. So what we're going to race through this afternoon is to have a look at what happens when a person dies. And we'll look at both the Christian and the non-Christian. And if you go out there and ask people what happens when you die, you get a whole range of answers. The atheist believes in annihilation. There's nothing else there. A large following is reincarnation. But we're going to have a look at what the Bible says because uh, Christianity is unique and Jesus is coming back and as you can see Muhammad died, Buddha died and we haven't seen either of them so we're going to have a look at what the Bible says what it says about whether there is a second chance uh, and uh, the dead will hear the Son of God and those that hear will live and Daniel again another scripture there and at the point of resurrection, there's a divide between Christians and non-Christians. We'll have a look at that in a minute. And no judgment or condemnation for us at all. Only our works will be judged. That's right. so important that we find out what God wants us to do so that we can do it to the best of our ability. And as we do it, we're storing up rewards in heaven. And we'll have a little look at Lazarus and the rich men, both Old Testament folks. Both died and both still conscious. And what hell is, and the compartment in the unseen state, and the compartment of torments where the uh, fallen angels are kept, or the, uh, sorry, the Tartarus is where the fallen angels are kept, and where you land is where you're going, there isn't a second chance, there's another page to that, Telsa dear, Telsa, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> went through it a bit fast. I will do a copy of those if you, if you want those. Someone's already asked me if we get the apples and oranges. And yeah. So we will look at Jesus on the cross. And the body, soul, spirit teaching is important because you'll be needing to see that. And what did Jesus commit into his father's hands? 
He committed his spirit, it's God's property, it went back to God. Body went into the tomb and the soul went on. Uh, and some understandings about what Jesus did when he went into that unseen state. And the word preach is not evangelizo, it's caruso, and it means to proclaim a victory. Uh, in paradise, he said, pack your bags, we're moving. Uh, and the captivity captive, and when he got to heaven, he showed them all off there. So we'll check all these things out as we go through. And you remember that Paul was stoned and dragged out of the city dead. And uh, the three heavens, again, we'll have a look at those. And Paul, no fear of death, and we only walk through the shadow of death. Because there's life after life, and that's when the real life begins. That's when it starts. Thank you, dear. Uh, you can put it up there if you like, yeah. Joyce, can I ask you if you'd hand these out? This is a double-sided sheet here. One part of it is what happened to a person who died before Jesus died on the cross, and the reverse is after. So I knew you'd all want one, so I thought I'll bring them with me. One each. One each a piece all round. Right. So you don't need to draw it out. You're going to get it in your hand in a minute. So I'm very very um, kind. So what happens when a person dies is the question. I've been careful not to say what happens when a Christian dies because I'm going to look at what happens when both a Christian and a non-Christian die. And it's, a, it's a, something that people, many people don't want to face. Christians are non-Christians. I'm surprised how many Christians actually are actually quite nervous. I mean, I'm not looking forward to the process, but I don't mind once I get there, if you see what I mean. And grace will carry you through. From the moment you're born, the only way out of this life is by death. And most people don't want to face the fact that one day death will happen to them. For the non-Christian, death is the only certainty of life. It's certain that all non-Christians are going to die. It is fairly certain that most Christians are going to die. I say fairly certain because the day is coming when the church will be raptured or caught away. And those of us who are alive at that time will not see death but will be like uh, Enoch who was not. Uh, you want to join the was nots. But we will be changed when Jesus comes for us. And we'll be having a look at that when we look at Revelation in a couple of uh, sessions time. So if you go out onto the streets and ask the people out there what they expect to happen when they die, you'll get a whole range of answers. Some would say, I don't know. Some, I don't want to talk about it. And that would probably be the majority answer. Others have very firm beliefs. The atheist believes in annihilation. And by that, they mean that at the point of death, everything goes to nothing. You will meet that view time and time again, and they are in for the biggest shock of all. There was a book a couple of years ago, can't remember the guy's name, Shock of Your Life, anybody read that? Yeah, can you remember the name of the guy that wrote it? Yeah, little yellow book it was. And in this book, three or four youngsters died, didn't they? Uh, and uh, it was, it's an excellent evangelistic tool, but it's excellent if you, if you want to get it and read it yourself, because it's only little, can't think of his name. And he wrote another one called Aftershock, because uh, these young people were all killed in the same accident, even though uh, they were 
um, in different places. Some were in the car, some were on the sidewalk, and this thing happened, and they, they were killed. And one was a believer, one was a backslidden believer, and one was an on-fire believer, and one was an unbeliever. So you get what happens to all of them when they get to heaven. I'll get his name in a minute. It's gone from me from the minute uh, or they go to, you know, stand and have their things weighed up. But it was very, very interesting. Uh, then there are others who believe in reincarnation, and this really with the New Age is an increasingly popular view and is majored on by the New Ages. But what does the Bible say about death? Actually, we as Christians are the only ones who can speak about death with any certainty. We can speak about it as a matter of fact. Christianity is unique. Jesus said he conquered death. He announced he was going to die. And he said that after three days, I will come back. And after three days, he came back and said, here I am. And the message that we have is that we certainly know what happens when a person dies. As we saw on our bullet point list there, Muhammad died and we haven't heard from him since. He's never been back to say, I was right, by the way, about death. Buddha has died and he's never been heard of since. None of the others have come back. Jesus' tomb, however, is empty. Jesus embraced death and having embraced it, he showed he had the mastery over it. So we're talking from a position of certainty. And just as a matter of interest, you know, when they went into the empty tomb, there were the clothes that wrapped the head, laid in a different place from the ones, I suspect you know this, where the clothes were that had wrapped his body. And the reason for that is that the head has ascended, but the body is still here on earth. Everything that the Bible shows us is there for a purpose. Um, that our living head has ascended. So what does the Bible say about death? Hebrews 9.27 says quite clearly, it is given to men once to die, and then the judgment. That's pretty straight. Annihilation, no. Reincarnation, no. A very clear statement. We are appointed once, not several times to die. We're not cats, nine lives. So that stops reincarnation dead in its tracks, if I may use the pun. Cats may have nine lives, but we really don't. And after death, what comes then? Darkness? No, according to the word of God, judgment. Judgment actually proves there is life after death. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. This verse is the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you look it up, it's Hebrews 9, 28. Verse, seven, verse 27, the one before, of course, is, it is as, and as it as is appointed, for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. You can count on it as a certainty, because one day you really will die, as I said, unless we're going to be raptured. So is death a great equaliser? 
No, it's not, because there's a difference between a person who believes and those who do not. John 5:25 and 28. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And verse 28, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That verse proves there is life after death. John 5.29 differentiates between the resurrection of life and the resurrection of judgment. It says, and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. That doesn't mean that if you do good deeds, you'll get in the kingdom. The doing good there is, what, what do we do to work the works that God ordained is to believe on the one who he sent. So those are your good works. You believe on the one that God sent. And another scripture, Daniel 12.2, again speaks of those who sleep, awakening, some to everlasting life and others to shame and contempt. I know there was someone over in Printon a little while ago got really distressed because where it talks about the body being, where, where it talks about people going to sleep, she was really, really worried that somehow she was going to go to sleep for a period of time and not wake up. Um, and I sent her Roger Price's thing of me on this, what happens when a person dies. I'd never got any more feedback, but it should have sorted her out. Your body sleeps. It's this, it's this bit. We'll come to that in a minute. So whether you are a believer or not, there is a resurrection. Those people who hold the view that it's annihilation at the point of death are the ones that are in for such a shock. The time is coming when they will rise from the dead. So at the point of resurrection, there is everlasting life. And those who reject Jesus will be confined to the lake of fire, which was made for the devil and his angels. It was not created for mankind. Mankind chooses to go there by unbelief in the risen Christ. Don't argue with me, I didn't write the book. That's what it says. And people find that, even Christians find that very, very hard that your time to choose, your testing time is now. The Bible says that anyone who has trusted in Jesus will not now face judgment as far as their lives are concerned. As we know, your works will be judged at the Bema seat of Christ. It's not the same as the great white throne. They're two totally different things. Great white throne is for unbelievers. But you as an individual will not be judged. You were judged as was all mankind on the cross at Calvary. And you accepted Jesus' high priestly atonement for your sin and you'll go free. It's only what you do, your works, that have been prepared for you in advance, it says in Ephesians, before the foundation of the earth. That's why we need to get into alignment with what God has prepared for us to do and get on and do it. I have never been in a position where I know so clearly what he wants me to do and I've been in ministry 20 odd years. But I know that this passing the baton business is real, real serious and it needs to take place. Because I might be a was-not any minute, but no. I probably have to write me will and say, who can have me gold shoes before I go? 
size five. Yes, that's it. Four and a half at a squeeze. <laughs> so you will stand before the beamer seat, which is where the rewards are handed out. Uh, if you look at Romans 8.1 now. You've got your Bibles with you. This absolutely clinches it. There is therefore now no condemnation. The word is judgment to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And of course that's what we'll be looking at in the summer school. Flesh or spirit you get to choose. The word condemnation is the word judgment and there's no judgment. But those who have rejected Jesus will find it's a different scenario altogether. God is absolute righteousness. And absolute righteousness means that for us to be able to approach him, we must have absolute righteousness. Some people think it's enough just to have our sins forgiven. It's not, because that would leave me with nothing at all. If my sins were forgiven, all I would be would be empty out of an empty bank account, nothing there. That's why Jesus, when he forgave our sins, gave us the robe of righteousness to put on. And we'll see more of that when we look at covenants towards the end of the year. And we now stand clothed in the righteousness of God. I was trying to find a hymn yesterday, wasn't I? Clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. If anybody knows the first stanza, I'd love it. Because uh, I, I could, all I could think of was that. You know the melody? No idea, dear. <laughs> Don't know the melody, no. All I got was clothed in his, I think it's a Wesley, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. This is where you get to choose. You're actually clothed in his righteousness. You choose whether you live out of that place of righteousness or you live in your old nature. You can say, I'm a worm, I'm a this, I've got low self-esteem, I've got all the other, and God is saying, I've prepared this for you. This is where I want you to walk. Walk in what I've prepared for you. But the enemy works overtime to keep us in the, I'm no good, I can't do it, I'm a worm. Or I can't in myself, but in him I can. So we get to choose. And we're coming into days where it's going to be really important where we decide where we're going to land on that one. Um, so it's, it's just incredible to me as I unfold these things where I see where God is going. You know, couldn't have done this afternoon without this morning. And coming on to that comes revelation in a minute when we're going to do it. So that we see what it's all about. Uh, so the unbeliever will rise with no righteousness at all. And what happens to the unbeliever is this. God examines everything he's done in his life and the unbeliever in relation to God stands in a place of total condemnation. And Daniel 12.2 is the verse that shows us this so clearly. And I think it's so interesting the way it's the whole counsel of God. It's not just the New Testament that we need to look at. Somebody's pinched Daniel. Would you kindly give it back to me? I've lost it. It's gone. Yep. Come on. I know you're there. <laughs> ah, there it is. And this is talking about the end times. Again, you can't look at the book of Revelation without looking at the book of Daniel that, like this. 
and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, wake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. You can guess which is which out of those. And those who are wise, that's what we want to be, don't we, will shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and forever. It's interesting, the next verse says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal up the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Would you say we're in that time now? Travelling everywhere, knowledge is increasing, can't it overtaking itself, isn't it? We're in the end of the end. Interesting stuff. So you've got your thingy about what happened uh, when a person died up to and including when Jesus was on the earth. So you have that in front of you. And Luke 16, 19 to 31 is the passage about Lazarus and the rich man. I've got my new Bible and the pages are all stuck together. Nineteen to thirty-one. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. You can see where that is on your first um, page there, bottom left-hand corner. Unbelievers torments Luke 16:23. That's where we are. And he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. That's the top half. There we are. Is it all working out so far? Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, notice there's a conversation going on, there's consciousness, they can speak to each other, they can see each other. Very interesting. Son, remember that in your lifetime you receive good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. You see that in your uh, thing of me there. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those pass from here to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Salvation in the Old Testament, exactly the same as in the New. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes back to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. That's a terrible indictment, isn't it? But there's the truth of it. So here we are. This is the passage about Lazarus and the rich man. And keep in mind, as I said, these are Old Testament people. This is before Jesus died on the cross. Um, and the disciples were not born again as we understand it until Jesus actually arose, went up to his father, came back again and breathed on them and said to them at the end of John, 
receive the Holy Spirit. That was their point. They went from being Old Testament believers to being like you and I. And then they waited in Jerusalem uh, for the empowering, but that's something else, isn't it? So they're Old Testament people. That's before Jesus died on the cross. And the man in verse 19, the rich man, obviously was not a believer. And in verses 22 and 23, we see that both died and both are still conscious. And the Bible usually speaks of death as sleep, but sleep refers to your physical body. Your soul is still conscious, still awake and experiencing things. These two men have died physically, but they are both still conscious after death and a conversation is taking place. And being in torments in Hades or hell or Sheol, various versions, various names. <coughs> Let's just deal with this little word before we go on. It's actually one of the probably most misunderstood words in the Bible. Most think, people think of it as a place where all unbelievers go. And if asked, they would say it's a fiery place. The word hell does not mean that. The word hell or Hades or Sheol actually means the unseen state. We can't see it. It's the unseen state. It is a realm into which every person goes when they die. If I popped off right now, you wouldn't be able to see me, the me-me. All that would be left behind would be the shell. They go to a place where they are still conscious, but we don't see them anymore. So we can see from this passage that the unbeliever and the believer are both in the unseen state, not seen by those who are alive and living on this planet, but they are in two different places. Let's look first at where the believers went into the unseen state when they died. Verse uh, 22, so it was the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Isn't that lovely? The rich man also died and was buried. It was called paradise. Abraham's bosom or paradise. And paradise is a Persian word meaning, meaning the garden of the king. Uh, the Persian kings had the most beautiful gardens that anyone had ever seen. And that is the name given to one of the compartments in the unseen state. God provides for us in grace even at the moment of, de of death. And there's another compartment in hell in which the rich man finds himself not quite so comfortable. This second compartment of the unseen state is called torment. So now we have the big one, Abraham's bosom, and the one on the left-hand side of your picture, um, which is torments. And these two compartments are fixed. But before we look at how fixed they are, let's have a look at the third compartment of the unseen state called Tartarus. Tartarus isn't mentioned here, but to get the complete picture, you need to look in 2 Peter 2 and verse 4. I love this, you know, the way the Bible takes you around. Just got to dig it out, haven't you? 2 Peter 2 and verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell... And in my uh, Bible, it's got a little T, which means translation is literally Tartarus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And it then goes on, and didn't spare the ancient world, but saved Noah. So we can see that that place, Tartarus, is where the angels that fell are actually in chains 
to be reserved for judgment. They wish they never had. And the word hell here is not the same Greek word for hell. As I said before, it's the word Tartarus. And my Bible's got a note to it. If you've got the New King James and Nelson, it'll probably show it. In this compartment, the fallen angels who rebelled against God during the time of Noah are held. Not all the fallen angels are there, but some are. Because Revelation tells us that Satan took a third of the angels with him when he fell. So we still outnumber them by two to one. So as we saw or can see from the acetate, there are three compartments in hell or the unseen state. And please remember we're still dealing with what happened to a person who died before Jesus died on the cross. We'll have a look in a minute what happened after Jesus died on the cross. So we see there's a gulf between paradise and torments and no one can move between the two. This must prove to you that if you ever hear anyone saying you can get a second chance after death, they are absolutely wrong. Wherever you land after death will determine where you are going. Verse 29 is an amazing verse because it's saying that by reading Moses and the prophets, you would have found salvation through the Messiah Jesus who was coming. Because the Old Testament pointed towards Jesus' sacrifice by all the blood sacrifices that were done in the Old Testament and the New Testament points back to the cross because it's a done deal and it is finished. So when Jesus came, there were already believers in Israel who had come to salvation through reading Moses and the prophets. They were there. And verses 27 and 28 show us that an unbeliever is still capable of good thoughts, even though they themselves have no way out of their situation. But Jesus says in verse 31, even though someone were to rise from the dead, they would not believe, and this is still the case today. You can't persuade anyone into the kingdom. The Holy Spirit moves on them, and your words are ignited by the Holy Spirit, and they come into the kingdom. Let's now look at Jesus on the cross, Luke 23, 39. We might get into this sometime. There's an interesting inscription that was written over him. He is the king of the Jews. And uh, the Hebrews used uh, letters to do count with numbers to, to count with their letters and this is actually 13 times 13 times 13 which is the fullness of evil interesting then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him saying if you are the Christ save yourself and us and this is a very common situation amongst unbelievers who are about to die they hurl insults at God you wouldn't think they would would you I think you'd be crying out to be helped but this is the case there's a story of a man who escaped from a burning aircraft the aircraft had crashed and he survived uh, and he told that he was shocked about the way people were cursing God at the moment of their death and the criminal crucified next to Jesus was doing exactly the same thing and it's, it's interesting because what you've got is one 
believer and one unbeliever and the world just divides into two like that you've got the spirit of Cain you've got the spirit of Abel as we looked at it earlier on we've got the ungodly and we've got the godly and it's like there's these two streams going right the way down it's just amazing so Luke 23 40 to 43 there's a different spirit in this one but the other one answering rebuked him saying do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds but this man has done nothing wrong then he said to Jesus Lord remember me when you come into your kingdom and Jesus says to him assuredly I say to you today you will be with me in paradise. So familiar, isn't it? Today you will be with me in paradise. So notice Jesus was planning on going to paradise when he died. The same place where all believers went when they died. No purgatory, no stop on the way to do a few years to clean yourself up. No mention of it. Jesus didn't say to the thief, I'll see you when you've done your time, you know, do your good works bit first, don't you? done your time in there. Straight away, the man was with him in paradise. So we see clearly that Jesus went to paradise or Abraham's bosom when he died. And what did he do there? What happened to him? Remember this morning's teaching that we were made in three parts. Uh, body, spirit, soul. Spirits, body, soul. Spirit, soul and body. Whichever way you like to look at it. So first of all, we're going to look at Jesus' human spirit. In Luke 23:26, No, wrong one. Must be Luke 24:26, I think. It's where he cries out. Isn't it funny? 46. Sorry, I'll make a note of that. It's 46, not 26. When Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The spirit which gives us life is the property of God and it goes back to God. <coughs> so Jesus' human spirit goes back to God. Telsa was asking me about this this morning. Whenever a person dies, the human spirit that gives us life automatically goes back to God the Father. Now you need to go into Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. I can't get my pages undone. I'm having a fight. I'll go into, into verse 6 because this is an interesting one. 12. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 6 and 7. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, there's your body, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. 
That's quite clear there, isn't it? There have been times in ministry um, when I've been dealing with something where there's been a real strong spirit of death on someone and God has said to me, strengthen the cord before you get rid of the spirit of death. Because the spirit of death would probably try to take them out. And the first time I came across it, uh, it was a, a lady that had um, something nasty had been done to her in a, in a churchyard on a, what do you call these things, sepulchre thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarcophagus, that's it. She'd been laid on this thing and something none too tasty had happened. Um, and a spirit of death had entered. And I knew nothing about this. God's led, Jesus led me all the way. Um, and he said, strengthen the silver cord. So that before I commanded the spirit of death out, which would have taken a... I'd have called it back, but it would have been a scary moment, wouldn't it? I had some scary moments, didn't want that. He said, strengthen the silver cord. So you get the Bible is actually proving itself to me while I'm doing things like that. So we've all got this here silver cord that we none of us can see. It's interesting, isn't it? It's like soul ties. We can't see these invisible ties that go on with one another that can cause us so much damage. Uh, but they're, they're invisible to our eyes. But if we could see it, we'd see we're all sort of got these ties going off all over the place. So then Jesus' body, Luke 23:53. I should have said keep your finger in the place. I would have kept my own in there. Twenty-three, fifty-three. Excuse me. And we're talking about the body now. Um, uh, Joseph of Arimathea went and asked for the body. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Verse fifty-two. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. So the spirit has gone back to the father. The body has come down and gone into this tomb. So there remains to wonder where the soul went. Jesus' body went into the grave. Everyone who dies their body goes to the grave. Then Luke 23:43, Jesus has said to him, Verily I see, say to you, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. King James Version. So Jesus' soul went into the compartment in the unseen state called paradise where all believers go. Some people believe that Jesus went down into hell because he had more work to do. This is the things that they say. Because they don't understand what the word hell means. simply means the unseen state. So we can see from what we've looked at already that's not true. Hell is a word for the unseen state. And certainly there was nothing more to complete as far as Jesus' work on the cross was concerned when he died. He said, it is finished. He didn't say, it's almost finished. I've got a little bit more to do. I just need to do a bit down there. He didn't say that. And the term he used was one which meant paid in full. Teleo. T-E-L-E-O. That's the Greek. And it was written across a bill when you'd paid in full. When you owed for goods and you'd paid it, teleo. They would read right across the bottom. And the word literally means accomplished, filled up, finished, fulfilled, paid in full, performed. In other words, done. It's done. 
this is what Jesus wants us to come into. Everything that he won for us on the cross. We are living at a level so low compared with what he won for us. And so as we start coming up, the battle starts hotting up. That is actually what happens. As we start coming in to say, hey, hang on a minute, there's an inheritance over here. I hadn't seen that. Then you get the enemy activity and everything trying to pull you back and stop you going where you're going. And, you know, as I said, we always have to discern who's doing what to whom. Um, and there are various questions we need to ask. But I think God wants us to see before Jesus comes what he won for us so that we start living in the good of it so that people out there start saying, what have you got? What have you got? They need to. So some people say, well, what about 1 Peter 3, 18 and 19? Get you all tanked up so you can go out there and tell everybody now. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. By whom, that's by the Spirit, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Oh, sounds like he had something else to do then, didn't he? He went and preached to the spirits in prison. They believe that Jesus then went to preach to unbelievers... And they say, we don't know how many of them got saved. Now if they're right, all that we've been looking at there is, is not right. All that we've been studying in Luke 16 must be wrong regarding the great gulf that's fixed, that has fixed. Because the question is, are they right or not? And 1 Peter 3, 20, Peter is talking here about the time of Noah. Because if you read on, he says, who formerly were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. You have to take the whole counsel of God. People so often take a text out of context to make it a pretext, and we can't actually back it up because we haven't looked at the word and seen, oh, wait a minute, you know, you need to go on. Early in my uh, Christian experience, um, someone, I don't remember the situation, um, how I got to be there, but he was talking about, he, his view was we were going to go through the tribulation. So he used what he thought was scriptures to prove that, and I can't remember where the scripture was, but he stopped short and I said to him, well, what about the verse that comes next? Sort of, don't bother me with that, I can't explain that one from where I want to come from. <laughs> <laughs> we fell out big time because I'm saying to him no no read on read on so we have to have a look all around it really so Peter is talking here I've got some typing mistakes here you know you want to believe it about the time of Noah <laughs> so we can see from those two verses in Peter I'll be going mad with me tipex when I get home uh, that he's talking about the fallen angels or demons in the days of Noah now we know what caused the flood was the wickedness of mankind on the earth. And we know that the angels came down and mated with the women, which brought forth the giants in the land. There was such wickedness. 
These fallen angels came down and had their way with the women. I often think I wouldn't fancy giving birth to one of them, nine foot tall. I mean, can you imagine, make your eyes water, wouldn't it? I go off on thinking about things like that, and I'm thinking, I don't think I would have liked that very much. That's where Goliath came from. The Anarch- That's where Goliath came from, and his other brothers. He had five of them. That's why David had five stones in his pouch. He was going to take the other four out as well. Yeah, well, yeah. They can take human form. I don't go there. Um, the word there is uh, where he says about the preaching to the spirits in prison. As I said earlier on, it's not the word evangelizo, which is the word for preaching. In go- uh, the gospel in Greek, it's a different word altogether, and it means to proclaim a victory. When Jesus went to paradise, he took one trip out of paradise down to Tartarus and said to the fallen angels or demons, I've just called to tell you, you lost. And the word is Caruso. K-E-R-U-S-S-O. To proclaim or publish a victory. So Jesus went to proclaim his complete victory over the realm of darkness. Sorry? That's his soul. That's it. That's his soul. The spirit went back to God. Body to the dust. Soul went on. If anybody's seen uh, the jellyfish man, anybody seen the... uh, Yeah. Did you remember what he said about how when he went into the unseen state, he suddenly found he could put his hand through his leg and he was absolutely terrified. Because we have a form after we've died transparent and able to put your hand through it but we have a form in that interim time between then and when we get our resurrection bodies we won't I I remember saying to my pastor when he taught on this I said well we'll be like puffs of cloud he said no 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 he said it won't be this great big puff going by and you'll say oh oh, that's David I think (laughs) and there's a little puff coming along oh that could be Beryl there that one there made me laugh so much because I didn't I had to ask such silly questions but he was ever so good he gave me all the answers so we will have a form because Paul says doesn't he I don't know whether I'm in a straight twixt the two I don't know where I'd rather be with Jesus or here but I've got a job to do so I better stay he's he's got this Paul but his isn't isn't Satan and Jesus Paul it's the Paul of going on some of you who know me know that I have had an an experience of seeing uh, what is for what's coming for us just before I went into a very traumatic time my son had been married about three months uh, and I didn't know that he was having an affair with another girlie the one that he subsequently married and had the granddaughter by I didn't know any of this and one morning I was about to get out of bed and suddenly I could just see where we're going I don't I can't describe it it was just I want to get there and I got like this backpack, and I'm trying to get this backpack off of me so that I could get there. And of course, the backpack was my body. In my spirit, man, I, I could see where I was going. And it was like God gave me this to keep me focused through that which I was going to go through. He is so kind. Because that sustained me, because I thought, it's, it's all worth it. He knew exactly what I needed to get me through it. And he knows exactly what you guys need to get you through what you're going through. 
in the world we will have tribulation but be of good cheer so as I said as we've seen in a previous study one of the things these demons had done during the days of Noah was to try to stop Jesus coming to the earth so Jesus made one trip from paradise to Tartarus to proclaim his victory and why did he go there? He simply told the believers there, start packing, we're moving out. He didn't have any more work to do. And the good news we learn from the Bible is that when Jesus rose, every Old Testament believer was taken up to heaven with him together in paradise. You remember in Matthew, I think it is, where those that were in the graves, the graves broke open, out they came, oh, they've just buried Uncle Arthur, here, oh, by the way, I'm on my way up. Can you imagine it? He just presents himself, can't stop, just go. My goodness me. I mean, it's just incredible the things that happened round about the time that Jesus was on the cross. The, the um, curtain in the temple being torn from the top to the bottom. That thing was about this thick. That was not your actual little bit of net. It was about four to six inches thick and God rent it so that the way is open. We need to understand that he wants us to come to him. He's made the way. All, you know, it's just, it, he's made the way. Never run away from him. Run to him, because if you run away from him, guess whose arms you're running into? So Ephesians 4, 7 is another puzzle. What does this mean? I think I'm going to finish by tea time, where I'm going. Might do. Nice long tea break. Let you off home early. It's actually four eight. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And it goes on. Now, what does this he ascended mean? But also that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. So there's the question again, you know, what does this mean? Well, now we know what this means. He went into the unseen state. So when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. What's that mean? To understand this, you need to know something about the Roman Empire. What the Romans did when they had sent an army out to defeat another country was after the victory, they brought back the prisoners of war or the captives and they led them, they paraded them down the streets and there would be a tremendous celebration over the victory that had been won. And they'd all be showered with flower petals. Great time had by all. So Jesus, when he won the victory, paraded all the Old Testament saints for all of heaven to see. And I bet the angels were having a whale of a time. But they weren't chained, of course, together like the captives taken by the Romans. But this is what Paul is saying, because Paul was living in a country where it was under Roman occupation, which is why it's such a hoot where the Pharisees say, we've never been in bondage to anyone. And there's all these Roman soldiers standing there fully kitted up. There we are. So there was a celebration, the like of which you can't imagine in heaven that day. Paradise was completely emptied. And that means that when we die, we go to heaven and the unbeliever goes to torments because that hasn't moved. And even as I speak, that, ri that rich man is still in torments awaiting the great white throne judgment. I think I'll take you a little break there for a minute and maybe we'll have a tea a bit early, Auntie Joyce. Is that all right? Okay. We have
Okay. Thank you very much. Right. Um, let's just have a look. I haven't got much further to go. To confirm that paradise has actually been moved to heaven. 2 Corinthians 12. Wonderful. 2 Corinthians 12. I nearly said Joyce is garnishing the salad. <laughs> Nasty little boy. That's a, one lad we had over from Frinton. And uh, Joyce was in the kitchen doing something, and all of a sudden she sneezed, huge sneeze, and he went, oh, Joyce is garnishing the salad. <laughs> naughty boy. These boys, naughty boy. That's why I say naughty boys, I say. Oh. Came, just came straight out. Now this is Paul. This is where he was stoned to death. It's doubtless uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 1. To fall. It's doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for man to utter. So Paul speaks here of when he was stoned and died and of his visit to the heavenly place. Verse 2, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, absolutely beside himself. Such a man caught up to the third heaven. Proof again that there are three heavens, which we looked at earlier on. Caught up into paradise. Paul is speaking in a way that he doesn't speak in any other book. From verse 2 onwards, he speaks as a man who has visited heaven. He's experienced it. And he's experienced such tremendous things that he doesn't dare speak about them. So he's talking of a time when he visited heaven. And that time is recorded in Acts 14, 19. Just a little verse there. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Well, he was. That was when he had his little visit. Uh, if he'd been alive, they would have carried on stoning him till he was dead, so he really did die. And he went straight to heaven, uh, which is what he describes in 2 Corinthians 12. However, he was instantly raised, because in verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered round him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. He doesn't seem to have suffered any ill effects from being hammered to death with stones. So I'll leave you to think about that. Instantly raised and no damage. There's no record of his having suffered too much discomfort. So into Corinthians 12.2, the NIV has paradise and the King James has the third heaven in that particular scripture. So to recap, the first heaven is the atmosphere, the second is the universe where we see the stars, and beyond that is the third heaven, the throne room of God. 
I'm just being reminded that many years ago, I think we were down here in bed one night. I don't think I've ever told anyone this. I was taken up backwards, just taken up backwards, and I saw the earth recede till it was like a little pea. I felt no fear, nothing, but I'm straight up and looked at it. Little tiny pea going rotten it was down there. The Lord just suddenly reminded me of that and said, you can share that now. You have experiences that are not right, you know, to share generally until the Lord gives you permission and when he does, you share them, really. So here we have the proof that paradise has moved and it's now in the third heaven. When we die, if we aren't raptured, just to recap, our spirit goes to God the Father, our body goes to the grave or cremation, whatever. I wrestled over that one for quite some time about, I thought, how is he going to gather all the bits up? You know, where'd they put the bits? And, and I thought, oh, for goodness sake, he's holding the universe together. Keep the place tidy. You don't want to be stinking down a hole somewhere, you know. Don't fancy worms. So I thought, well, I don't know. I mean, I've thought about these things deeply. <laughs> Strong sense of self-preservation. On balance, I'd like to be raptured, please. <laughs> I think I'd really rather like that. Do you remember that friend of ours who she had that vi open vision of going as she was, that everybody around her was dressed in white and they suddenly started to lift off from the ground and she went past the window and she could see her husband sitting in there. I think that would have bothered me because he professed to be a Christian, didn't he? And we were saying, you're describing the rapture, dear. Up we all go. We used to jokingly say when we wore leg warmers and uh, what do you call them, trainer boots, that we'd go and it, there'd be this pile of leg warmers and trainers left and the people would know we'd gone. <laughs> Don't jest, might be yet. Gold sandals might be somebody's. <laughs> oh dear, oh Lord. <laughs> Oh, God, you're so good. So here we have the proof that paradise has moved and it's now in the third heaven. And if we aren't raptured, our spirit goes to God the Father, the body goes to the grave, and the soul goes to the heavenly paradise. And when we're in paradise, we're still conscious. And the scripture that I referred to earlier on is in Philippians 1, 21 and 23 to 23. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm in a strait betwixt the two. I don't know what I want to do. Uh, to stay here is more profitable for you, but really I'd like to go and be with him. Because he's got no fear of where he's going to go, has he? Philippians 1, 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. I think I'd say that right now. It's more needful for me to be here. Um, but I'm in a straight twixt the two. I have such an anticipation of going to be with the Lord. Yippee-dippee-doo. It is so lovely. Because it's easy for me, that the age I am, I've had a good life. And so I've, got, I've only got eternity and joy and bliss to look forward to. Isn't it wonderful? 
So Paul's got absolutely no fear of death, and as Christians, neither should we. If we don't know that it's far better to be with Jesus than the devil has got us fooled. And any Christian, you know, when they're getting on a bit, they want to be there. It was, um, oh, what was the event? Billy Graham's mum, wasn't it? And her deathbed laying there, you know, like this, about to breathe the last. They're all gathered round. All of a sudden she sat bolt upright and said, Jesus! And then just fell back. She'd gone. Because it says in John, doesn't it, if I go, I will come and take you where I am. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come and take you to myself, either by the rapture or... Cheerio, folks. I don't think I'd probably even stop to say goodbye. <laughs> don't think me rude, really. I'll, I'll explain when, when you get there. If you get there before I do, look out for me, because I'm coming too. You've heard that old Pentecostal number, have you? No. How's it start, Joyce? That's all that matters. If you get before there before I do, look out for me because I'm coming too. So to hear some Christians talk about death, you'd think it was the worst thing that could happen. But the truth is, it's the best thing. I remember Smith Wigglesworth, when his wife died, he raised her from the dead. And she said, let me go home, Smith. So God said, let her go. It's her time to come to be with me. So he let her go and she went. Amazing, isn't it? I know we want to hang on to those that we love, but we're actually denying them a far, far better life, a body. No false teeth, no glasses, head full of lush, luxuriant hair. We're always, we're always declaring it, aren't we? Luxuriant, curly. We're always declaring it over ourselves. She's got the curly. Um, I can't say I've got the luxuriant. Never mind. It's covered got it covered though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death Psalm 23 4 says we are separated from death we only experience a shadow our body will die or be raptured a non-christian has no such hope because if at death they have rejected God's offer of salvation there's no second chance as Christians we have life now and with the promise of life the day we go to be with Jesus and that's when, as I said before, real life begins. And Colossians 3, just one to finish with, is set your affections on things above and not on the earth beneath for your life is hid with Christ in God and when Christ, who is our life, appears we shall be like him in glory. So I trust that if any of you had any fear of death as a believer, you don't have it now. Because there is nothing to fear. It's stepping out of this into absolute bliss and glory. This is the time that's the nuisance, having to pass through this mortal coil and do our bit. Well, bless you. Let's just have a prayer and I'll let you go home. Thank you, Father. Father, would you just show if there's anything else that you want to deal with today before we break up and go? In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We're full. Lord, we're just full. Thank you for feeding us this day, Father, from your word. Thank you that your word is true and your word is settled in heaven that nothing will change it, Father. And uh, 
soon and very soon. We shall be with you and then everything will be behind us. We won't give another thought because you say in Revelation you will wipe all tears from our eyes. There's no night there and there's no tears there. Father, we of all people have some good news to tell. Father, bless everyone as they travel. Keep them safe. Uh, lay your hand over the word and incubate it, Father. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for being so patient. <laughs>